Presidents of the Regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. This is Stan Zhang with Subversity coming up. Uh, today we're going to be uh, airing a uh, talk, uh, uh, interview with uh, one of our friends from Hong Kong uh, who is um, talking about a controversy there, who will give us a background on uh, why independent films are under siege in Hong Kong because of uh, apparent corporate takeover of the Asian Film Festival in Hong Kong. And uh, this is the, uh, the result of a sudden decision by the... Earlier, they, these were the co-sponsors with this group of the Asian Film Festival, uh, Ying Yi Chi. Ying Yi Chi was the independent film uh, non-profit that has been putting on for four years the Asian Film Festival in Hong Kong. And uh, suddenly, this uh, few weeks ago, they found out that the company, the cinema company, Broadway Cinematheque in Hong Kong was uh, accident was actually had registered the film festival under its own name and was beginning to uh, claim that it was running this film festival and was in fact trying to do that and doing that and that film festival actually has begun so it's kind of a surprise and we we will talk to an independent filmmaker from Hong Kong to see what uh, what's going on there and get the latest on this controversy. Uh, and this is an interview we were able to tape over the weekend, and uh, we'll be bringing that to you momentarily. That will be uh, coming up in a sec. And we're talking with Simon Chung, who's an independent filmmaker from Hong Kong. Welcome to the show. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a controversy in uh, Hong Kong about independent films and uh, a corporate takeover of a film festival. And with us is Simon Chung, who's the um, a filmmaker in Hong Kong. Welcome, Simon. Hello. Hi. Um, what what's going on uh, in Hong Kong? Well, uh, we are uh, protesting this takeover of our independent film festival by a uh, theater chain, Echo Films. Uh, we started uh, working with them uh, four years ago with a independent film festival, um, and um, at, in that year we. Um, we presented a series of Hong Kong independent films with the theater. And, uh, that festival, that mini festival, uh, had uh, six uh, programs of, of uh, in recent independent films. And it was uh, a great success and uh, attracted uh, full house audiences. And so the following year, uh, we decided to cooperate with them again. And... Um, we uh, sort of expanded the, uh, the profile of the festival to include um, Asian films. And, uh, the, but the focus of the festival has always been independent uh, films from all over Asia. And the festival and was called, was called uh, what was the name of the festival? Hong Kong, it was called Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. Okay. Yeah, HKAFF. Um, so, and then, uh, so this went on for uh, another, another four years, another three years. And uh, the last edition of the festival in, in 2007 um, was, was, one, of the, was one, of our, one of our biggest festivals. We had uh, 60 films in the program. And um, and it became the second largest film festival in Hong Kong after the uh, Hong Kong International Film Festival. What, what's the audience the like? April. Yeah, what what was the audience uh, like? I mean, how the many figure? people? Yeah, the figures. I mean, uh, it was around ten thousand. It was more than ten thousand. It's more than ten thousand altogether. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I don't know if that's big in, in U.S. terms, but it's pretty big in, in Hong Kong. Oh, yeah, for independent films. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. <laughs> uh, also, um, also this Edco, this Echo company, Edco company, they yeah, run the, the broad, chain. they run the yeah. Broadway uh, chain of theaters, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. And they are they the industry leader with maybe around forty percent of theaters. Mm -hmm. Ownership mm -hmm. in Hong Kong, yeah. And it's based in. Is it based in Japan? No, it's based in Hong Kong. It's, it's based local, in Hong Kong. It's oh. a local chain. Yeah. Local, okay. Uh, and they're also a distributor. Uh, they uh, distribute foreign films in Hong Kong. Uh, many American blockbusters are, are distributed by them and shown on their theater chains. Ah. And so, so they earlier this year they ended up uh, registering the film festival under their own uh, name. Yeah. Well, uh, to uh, uh, yes, to recap this the whole story. Uh, last year we had one of the big festivals, and at the same time we uh, the we felt the festival was going in a more commercial direction. For example, uh, they showed Must Caution, mm -hmm. which was part financed by Edco Films, and um, so it, it, it was it was one of the opening films in the festival. And we felt that uh, they were sort of using the the festival as a spotlight to showcase their product, mm -hmm. uh, rather than um, showcasing more independent films. So we felt that uh, independent films are being more and more marginalized in the festival. Uh, there's still a very strong independent film component. Uh, there's a it's called the, there's a new talent award, uh, which awards um, uh, first time independent filmmakers. Uh, but aside from that, uh, we thought more and more program was geared towards more commercial fare, and, and we thought that uh, the independent films were being were being sidelined. Yeah, yeah. And this is the this is the, the um, not just talking about the, the the screening, but also the hospitality, the way the films are being promoted, how, how guests are treated as well. And so after the festival, there was sort of a sort of a bitter aftertaste for us. And when we started to negotiate with them in the beginning of this year for this new edition of the festival, we felt uh, they were cool to us. And we had a couple of discussions about the direction of the festival and, uh, you know, what kind of films it should, what kind of spirit it should embody. And um, we, those discussions were not too fruitful. And we also talked about who should be hosting the festival. We sort of wanted to maintain an independent spirit yeah, within yeah. the festival and they were hesitant they wanted to uh, well obviously they uh, wanted the more uh, commercially successful uh, films to be to be made to be uh, featured in the festival how about last so we had yeah the, yeah but how about last so year did you have a did you choose the films together how did yeah, that we chose work? the films together. About a third of the films are chosen by us. Uh, those are the more independent ones. Uh, the, the other two thirds are chosen by them. I mean, they have they have more resources to choose films. They have a programmer who travels to various international film festivals to to do these things, and also they have a distribution outlet. They have a distribution department yeah, who yeah. handles these kinds of films. So they have a huge resource space to do these things whereas we have a staff of two and <laughs> we do it we yeah so we we can't travel so we have to do it do everything online we have to do it through uh, personal contact and through um, other sources like but, other uh, yeah. programmers with, with other festivals we, we sort of have a personal relationship with them so but, that's how we program yeah. our films oh yeah definitely but the two thirds they picked were they mostly mainstream films or yeah, mostly yeah. mainstream films, um, the big commercial Japanese films, Korean films, that mm -hmm, sort of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so uh, so after those those initial discussions, um, we sort of felt um, a little bit wary, and so we tried to uh, 
try and register, register the name just to make sure that they wouldn't run away with it. And then um, they, uh, they were informed about it, and then they suggested that, why don't we register the name together? Hmm. And so we said, okay. And we waited for them to do so, and then we didn't hear from them again until, you know, until they, uh, we heard about the, the publicity for this new festival, which doesn't include us. Uh, and uh, we realized that they have registered the name on their own and are hosting the festival on their own. So you were, us. you weren't able to register the name? No, not after they did. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So now it's, it's, it's theirs, basically. And our main, our main um, concern is that we uh, built this festival up with public funds over the last five years. Right. And that um, it's a brand that we created together. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we felt that this has been taken away. So this is a, not just an issue between two companies, but also of, of, of general concern because of the fact that this public fund was used. And you, you were getting public funding this year? Uh, from, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. And, um, and so, the, so how, who managed the funding? Was, I mean, who ended up getting the money? Did they get the money also? Oh, no, we, we, we get the money for this year, which ah, okay. we are using to uh, host a different festival in November that is more independent-based. You, so you wouldn't be able to sh- would you be able to show it in the theaters? No, not their theater. We'll have to, uh, we have oh. to work with another, another theater. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At a, a worse location, of course. But uh, we hope to make it work, nevertheless. So this was a total shock to you guys? Yeah, it was a total shock, yeah. Obviously. Did you, uh, do you, I mean, in the Variety article, there's an article in the Variety newspaper, yes. they, mm-hmm. they say that you walked away from a meeting or something. Or what? Or from no, that, was, that is a total lie. <laughs> I think that's why the source was anonymous. <laughs> they didn't want to. <laughs> they didn't want to uh, name the, the source because they're obviously lying. So were you in middle of meetings and then this happened, or what? I mean, what was this? No, there was there was they, the according to the article, they said that we wanted to form another festival and that we wanted to walk away. Uh, but that's not true. We had, uh, in our negotiations with them, always wanted to host this event together. Mm. And um, that's what they wanted us to believe, too. That we, they, uh, The last conversation we had with them was that, you know, you know we're, um, it was in May, and the uh, person in charge said, oh, I'm, I'm going to can. Let's talk when, when, we come, when I come back. And... So that was the last conversation that we had. So up to the very last moment, they uh, led us to believe that they wanted to work together. And, the, and there, so there was never there was never a falling out publicly. It was just a stoppage of calls and a refusal to return all our calls and emails. Uh-huh. And that's one of the uh, I, that's one of the things that really disappoints me because this 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 uh, this theater is one of the few art house well, the only art house cinema in Hong Kong right, right now. Right. There's several, but they all closed down in yeah. the past few years. And they've always emphasized, you know, that they are committed to uh, showing alternative care, that they've all, they're also, um, it's also a venue for all sorts of other arts events, like, uh, like street theater, music, music, and stuff, and they've always emphasized that they're in it for, um, you know, community building, that they, are, they really value the partnership um, of, of artists from Hong Kong, etc. Yeah. Um, last year, they had, they, it was their 10th anniversary, and they actually had a little booklet printed, and, which interviews all their, all their um, partners, you yeah. know, uh, all the other artists that they've worked with in the past 10 years. And, uh, you know, it talks about how much they value these relationships. But in the end, it's, it's all about money. So you think that's the basic reason? Yeah, they wanted uh, a more commercial film festival. And they, yeah, 
they they didn't want us around, basically. Which is fine, basically, but except that uh, I think they should have dealt with it in a more civilized manner. And secondly, uh, they should, you know, offer us some kind of other other time slot, even. We, we would have been happy not hosting this festival had they given us, you know, another festival, another date for our festival. They didn't give you any uh, advance notice? No, really? not at all, not at all. Because the, the other, their festival is going on right now, right? Yeah, yeah. We only found out about it uh, when they uh, started their PR efforts. Advertising for, for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. And so, did you have any inkling last year when you were, we thought you thought they were showing too many uh, mainstream films? Did you uh, think that might happen or what? No, we we thought that the film festival was going to commercial, and we wanted to uh, rein it in. Basically, oh. uh, uh, we never thought they would actually take it away. I thought we would come come some sort of compromise in the end because I thought this uh, independent identity meant something Would to, to yeah. them, to us. Um, but, um, but apparently not. But, well, um, actually this year, their festival has a lot of, uh, has some independent stuff from, from other parts of Asia. Mm, They're mm. showing uh, Edmund Pang, Pang Ho Chung's uh, mm. film, an indie film um, that was made when he was a teenager, and showing another short from Hong Kong that's independent. That's about it. Uh, but they they have other independent films from other parts of Asia. It's not a big part of the festival, but it is still there. So, what is the is is there any legal recourse? Well, uh, we can't really afford to sue them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's very costly. And we just don't have the resources to do so. Yeah, e- even, we're a publicly yeah. funded body, and our, our budget. Yeah, we wanted sure. to, we wanted to devote all our resources to promoting Hong Kong independent films, not wasted on on a on a lawsuit. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. How? Uh, what's the reaction in the in the community? Well, uh, on Facebook, there's been a lot of supporters. Uh, we started a group. Uh, on Facebook, called uh, who who stole our film, who stole our Asian film festival, and um, right now I think maybe sixty people have joined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and also we've been circulating these notes on on, on Facebook and on on the internet, and uh, yes, yeah, some people are concerned. Some. Uh, uh, cultural publications are going to be doing a story about it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a variety has already done so. And uh, so we're, we we hope to keep the pressure on, and uh, we hope to elicit some kind of response from them eventually. Do you, do you think, I think I think they owe it to us? What would uh, be an ideal solution to this? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, we oh, we right now we're only asking for some sort of explanation hmm. yeah just tell us what happened why did you not respond to our emails you know that's it <laughs> you don't want to ask for for space to show the film well obviously if they offered then uh, we have to negotiate the terms but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but right now we're devoting our resources to this other festival that we're hosting at another theater so even if they did offer we still have to look at whether we have you know enough resources to do another festival mm-hmm. uh, somewhere mm-hmm. down the line is, uh, was there yeah, co- but, uh, yeah. sorry oh, yeah, was but there Hong Kong is a small town I don't want to you know yeah. um, make an enemy of them we just <laughs> really want an explanation oh I see yeah uh, it's it's about it's it, yeah it's not it's not some sort of vendetta against them. All oh, right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> was there a signed contract at all for this this year's festival? No, no. Oh. Uh, it's never. There's never been a contract between us. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, we do it on a handshake. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And how about when when the government gave money to to the? Yeah, well that. 
we we have a, we have an undertaking with the government. And so we have to report to the government what we've done. Did they? Did the government expect it to be as a partnership? Yeah, this year, as a partnership. This with year we have, Yeah, yeah. We applied for this grant before we knew about their their betrayal, and so we've gotten this amount of money, and on the basis that we will be hosting this festival with. Uh, this Edco theater chain, oh. but uh, we've changed our plans, so we have to tell the government about it, basically. And it will be a smaller festival than we have planned. There will be fewer films and fewer dates, but yeah. uh, I think the government is okay with it. We, they understand the situation for sure. Yeah, since it's not your fault. Yeah, it's not our fault. Yeah, yeah. How how did the groups get started? Uh, uh, Sorry. How did your group get started? Um, and the the name oh, of yeah. the, the, yeah. the and yeah. maybe you can explain the name of the group. Well, Yang Yichi, yes. Uh, <laughs> it translate as uh, uh, a will toward a will to cinema, something like that. And it's an independent film group, and it started about ten years ago between a group of uh, independent filmmakers, including myself. And at that time, we um, there were a lot of um, independent filmmakers emerging in the community. Um, a lot of us um, came back from overseas, from studying film overseas. And uh, we, uh, some, sometime in the, in the 90s, I guess, we uh, most of us started working in the industry. And after a number of years, we... So we all decided to uh, start making independent films. So, uh, so it was very natural for us to get together to uh, form a group so that we could distribute um, our films, to screen our films in the community. Yeah, I just uh, I just attended this week a, um, a screening of a film called The Owl and the Sparrow um, from uh, from Vietnam. By mm-hmm. independent filmmaker and uh, and yes. they actually formed a distribution company called mm-hmm. Wave Releasing, Wave Releasing, in mm-hmm. in uh, LA area and uh, mm-hmm. in Orange County, LA area. And because they didn't trust the mainstream distribution companies, uh, mm-hmm. one of the filmmakers uh, was talking about how in a previous film they they had signed a contract with uh, a distribution company, but he ended up doing the marketing all, all himself because they, mm-hmm. they, this mainstream company didn't do anything. And right. so, is, um, so is there, are you able to distribute it uh, in, in films for the Hong Kong independent film community? Oh. Yes. Well, uh, we try. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, uh, independent film makers all over the world have to fight um, uh, against the, the mainstream. Um, uh, so we we try to do small releases on 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 limited number of screens on in art house circuits. Well, it's not not really a circuit. Uh, one cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's a couple actually. Yeah, there's. Uh, and we try to do, you know, uh, you know, some theatrical shows and uh, uh, DVD releases, and um, also uh, festival distribution overseas, that sort of thing. So we try, we try. Yeah, and do you get uh, in terms of your DVD distribution? I, I've I've seen your website. Do a lot of people buy it from there now? Oh. Oh, there are some, some um, yeah. yeah, we also sell it in shops. We uh, we do a lot more business in shops, but oh. uh, not just uh, ordinary DVD shops, but also specialty, like uh, like uh, bookshops and mm-hmm. uh, specialty uh, DVD shops. How about the, uh, uh, in terms of foreign distribution, do, do your DVDs go abroad much? Uh, yes, we, uh, we sell it through uh, Yes Asia. Oh. Which is an online, online thing. Right. So, so like Amazon, except for Asian uh, audiovisual products. Right, right, right. There's, there's also books too on on. Yeah, Asia. yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of uh, people in the U.S. use that. I mean, it's it's a company, yeah, yeah that people yeah. here are aware of. Yeah. 
So, yep, so mainly through that. Uh, some of our films uh, get picked up by uh, foreign distributors, like uh, Mind, for example, uh, have been released in the U.S. Right. Um, which, which particular ones? Uh, uh, the last one, for example, called Innocent, yeah. is issued by Picture This, and it's out in the U.S., and also in Germany. Oh. Uh, my and then uh, I've worked with I've worked with them for years actually. Uh, my short uh, Stanley Beloved was in one of their shorts compilation yeah. called Boys Breathed, and my other short called First Love and Other Pains was released by First Run. So um, yeah, we get some from some foreign distribution. Do you get any royalties uh, from these uh, distribution rights? Yeah, you get uh, it's, it's supposed, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not exactly wrong. Uh, yeah, it is a royalty. Sorry, uh, there's different types of deals. Obviously, so some right. are some have minimum guarantee. They pay you a lump sum, and then they deduct whatever off that until you they pay off that lump sum, and then you get royalty on top of that. The lump sum is uh, for what? The lump sum is for the marketing. The, 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 yes, the, no, the, you, they pay you a lump sum for the distribution rights, for example. Oh, oh I see. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's called the minimum guarantee. Others, they don't offer you an upfront amount, but uh, royalty shares as the film sells. Oh. As the DVD sells. Um, and aside from myself, there are other uh, filmmakers, like uh, Quentin, for example. Uh, he is based in the U.S. Quentin Lee, yeah. Yes. He's based in the U.S., but um, uh, his films get distributed in Hong Kong uh, and in Taiwan. So there's uh, a lot of different types of... Uh, uh, China also is opening up. And even though it's known for its, its piracy, <laughs> uh, there's also quite a few um, uh, uh, internet uh, sites that um, buy uh, independent films. And then they sell it through the sites, you mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, oh. uh, sort of, uh, yeah, they, they sell, yeah, it's a pay-per-view sort of thing. I noticed that um, Quentin recently put his... Uh, latest Hong Kong film, 0506HK, online, mm -hmm. on YouTube. Um, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Why did he, why do you think, is, that, is there a move to put some independent films totally online now? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> we've always used YouTube as a promotional uh, outlet. Uh, we, you know, we put our trailers on there. Yeah. Um, and for some filmmakers, like, well, like 0506HK, the documentary, he probably uh, wants more people to see it. Yeah, and definitely. He, and uh, it's probably got limited potential as a DVD, as a DVD release, so uh, he probably figures, you know, why not? Yeah. So that's one option. Yeah. Um, but obviously, most independent filmmakers want to make some money out of the film. And um, I, I guess uh, Igichi tries to, to help with that. There was a, I went to a, a meeting once, and there were, some, there were some people who were trying to put up, uh, or one person trying to put up festival films, like independent films from film festivals, up mm -hmm. on a server type thing and mm -hmm. have people subscribe to it kind of thing. So that's, they're kind of in its in, in their infancy trying to mm -hmm. do Southeast Asian films, actually, and South oh, really? Pacific what, films. Oh, really? What is the site? Uh, they, they haven't really set up a, uh, you know, the, the, it's, I, I can't remember the, the, the site because initially it was just a few sample things. So I'm not mm -hmm. sure if it's kicked off yet. Mm -hmm. uh, right. But I know... A lot of film distribution companies here, in terms of uh, media that they sell to libraries, they even are serving it up and uh, making yeah, digital files, is. yeah, digital mm -hmm. files available, or else serving it themselves. Uh, either you know, signing, uh, selling rights. One of the ones I looked at was films for the humanities and the social sciences, I think, and they mm -hmm. were offering three-year deals. You could have, mm -hmm. you could pay for the for the rights to show it up to three years, and they have to re mm -hmm. uh, renew it. 
uh, after three years? Yes, that's one option. Um, a documentary filmmaker, Tammy Chung here, uh, she's made a number of documentaries, and her strategy is to... Um, to make the DVDs more expensive but available to institutions. Uh, one of her documentaries is called uh, Secondary School, right. and it's about the it's a look at the education system in Hong Kong. And uh, she sold it, uh, you know, it, she, uh, it's more expensive than a normal DVD, and she sold it to secondary schools and other educational institutions. Oh, um, and yeah. it's, done, it's done really well. Wow, yeah. So that's, that's, that's one way to do it. That's a, Yeah, that's a common thing among independent filmmakers here in the U.S., at least the, the ones that go with bigger bigger distribution companies like uh, like even Frameline or Women Make Movies, which right, yeah. may charge up to a few hundred dollars for a film for, educa- yeah. for educational use. Yes, yes, yeah. Under the theory that more people are, you know, I mean that, you know, there's repeat showings on campus mm-hmm. uh, in right. classes, I mean, in classes and stuff. If, right. you, if you show it in, uh, often when you show it in, to the public, you still have to get separate rights uh, mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. is just for classroom use uh, mainly. Right. Yeah. Yes. So there are different yeah. levels of, uh, of rights that one could negotiate, I guess. Yes, yeah. but obviously not all films are, su- are suited to the strategy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's it depends on the audience, I guess. Yeah, whether there is an audience for uh, the right. particular film, yeah. uh, and yeah. for documentaries, it's hard. I mean, it depends on the the people interested in that area of the world <laughs> or that topic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think documentaries is easier for institutional use. It is easier. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Because you, it's educational. Do you think uh, you've gone mostly? You've gone mostly with drum, dramatic works, right? Right. Yeah. And how 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 do you find the? Do you feel that people are most excited at the beginning, and then when it first comes out, and then it uh, falls down the the interest or what? Uh, in the last few years, or with yeah, with I, I mean, with your own well, films in the, your own experience. Well, it depends on the films, but independent films all over the world has experienced a downturn in recent years, probably because it's easier to make a film now, and there's a glut of films around the world. There's too much out there, yeah. There's too much out there, and it's it's harder to get into festivals now, I think, than Ah. before. Ah. It's easier to make a feature, it's easier to make a good-looking feature with the technology available yeah. than it was before. Like, in the past, it was like, uh, you know, Super 8 or whatever, you know, it would look uh, crappy. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and uh, festivals wouldn't take it. But now, with this technology, it's, uh, you know, you, you can make a very nice-looking film. Yeah, for sure. Very easily. Oh, so there's a lot more films on, uh, in the market. Also, um, downloading has hurt uh, films. And, you know, the DVD sales have gone down all over the world. So there's not as much paid for DVD rights as before. Yeah, yeah. And the market is definitely um, getting more and more difficult. You know, independent films right now equals, you know, uh, you know, with with films like uh, Jesse James, the Black Pit film, you know, they count as independent films now, hmm. and they tend to crowd out the even more indie films. Yeah, from from you, truly independent directors. In the Hong Kong uh, independent film community, do people um, do generally do they have second jobs or regular jobs, yeah. and then they're doing it? <laughs> doing it this, mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, mostly they have, <laughs> yeah, education jobs or uh, they work as cameramen or editors. Oh. Yeah. So it's so, it's hard to survive uh, just as an independent filmmaker. Uh, yes. <laughs> Almost nobody I know of uh, make their entire living on as an independent filmmaker. Wow. Possible. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Unfortunately. So some people, you know, some people are able to work in the industry and uh, balance a, a mainstream career with independent 
yeah. works, like my friend Vincent Trey, who's made two, two, three uh, commercial films now, and, uh, but also he has a new independent film coming out soon. What's so, what's it what's the title of that? It's called Three Narrow Gates, and it's a political film about uh, the post Hanover Hong Kong and the political and economic situation here oh, cool. after the Hanover. Yeah, there's lots of topics to cover there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Hong Kong is still, even though the spotlight is off Hong Kong since the Hanover, I think a lot of interesting things are, are happening here. And um, it's, it's definitely worth talking about. And independent filmmakers are doing that, thankfully. Yeah, that's for sure. So, so yeah. yeah, good luck with your, your situation there and hope the other film festival now is a success, this alternative film festival that you're hoping to yes. start. I, I hope so, too. Yes. Well, thank you very much for talking with us, uh, Simon Chong, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Okay. All right, keep in touch. Thanks. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Uh, that was uh, Simon Chong, who is the director of films such as Innocent, um, Stanley Beloved, and First Love and Other Pains. The last one about a Hong Kong U professor and a student. Um, that was uh, his uh, commentary on uh, what's happening in Hong Kong uh, about the uh, controversy over a film festival that's allegedly been hijacked by a cinema chain. And the independent film uh, community, which was co-sponsoring this film festival for the last four years, has been left out. Uh, next, in part two of this uh, subversity show, we'll be uh, airing a report from National Radio Project uh, about the um, parental notification uh, proposition, Proposition 4, that's on the ballot in California, and what's really uh, behind that proposition. Uh, so we'll be uh, listening to uh, people talk about why that proposition has many flaws. So let's listen to that interview or that program from Making Contact, a weekly national radio project program that we occasionally air on this program, on this subversity show here on KCI 88.9 FM. This is a dangerous law. On the face of it, it sounds really reasonable. Why, when a young girl is undergoing a surgical procedure that's very invasive, why shouldn't you know? For the third time, parental notification is on the ballot in California this November. It's Proposition 4, and it requires parents to be notified if a minor is seeking an abortion. Other states have already passed similar laws. So do these laws affect how young women access reproductive health care? Does this law really protect our youth? On this edition, we hear from a group of young women organizing against Prop 4 in California. We also hear from a Prop 4 proponent. And we go to the state of Texas, where both parental notification and consent laws have already been passed. I'm Tina Rubio, and this is Making Contact, a program connecting people, vital ideas, and important information. Start, start, start. French and Spanish. My name is May. 16. I'm from CPAA. I am Mian, and I like bubble milk tea, and I will be a panda, because all they do is sit there and eat. <laughs> and I would stop war, and I have four brothers and one sister. My name is Heidi. I'm a 17-year-old high school senior. I'm part of SAFIRE, which stands for Sisters in Actions for Issues of Reproductive Empowerment. It's a high school youth organizing program that trains young Asian women like me to become leaders and organizers for reproductive justice. My name is Heidi. I'm 17. I go to Oakland High, class of 09. I'm Chinese, and my favorite boba drink is jasmine milk tea. Every week, we meet at Asian Communities for Reproductive Justice, or ACRJ, in Oakland, California. This is our first meeting this fall, and we're talking about Prop 4. So this year, if you haven't already heard, we're doing a lot of elections work. Um, so what is one of the things we're doing this year? Amanda Waki is the Sapphire Youth Organizer. 
Okay, so we're going to do an activity in a minute about all those three propositions. We're playing a game to learn more about Prop 4. This is the third time that the Parental Notification Initiative, also known as Sarah's Law, is on the ballot in California. Basically, this initiative seeks to change California's constitution and ban abortion for anyone under 18 until 48 hours after a doctor notifies their parents or legal guardian. We think this measure threatens the health, safety, and rights of young women, especially communities of color and immigrant communities. That's because youth from low-income communities and communities of color are less likely to have health insurance. Sometimes free and confidential sexual health services is the only thing they got. If these young people are afraid their parents might find out, then they will have no health care at all. So right now, if I got pregnant and I was under 18, I could decide whether I wanted to tell my parents or not. If Proposition 4 passed, and I would go to the doctor, and the doctor would say that they would have to send a letter to my parents, or I would have to go get a letter signed by my parents um, in order to get an abortion if that's what I decided to do if I was pregnant. Young women aren't the only ones who will be affected if Prop 4 passes. Doctors will be at risk, too. My name is Paula Hillard. I'm a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Stanford University School of Medicine. And I am the director of the Division of Gynecologic Specialties, which includes a focus on family planning. I've been at Stanford for the last year, and prior to that, I was at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. I have been a physician for 31 years I'm also a member of the national board of an organization called Physicians for Reproductive Choice and Health, PERCH. PERCH is the voice of the pro-choice physician, and uh, those of us who are members of PERCH um, support confidential reproductive health care services for adolescents and comprehensive reproductive care for women of all ages. So Proposition 4 is a proposition on the, the ballot, will be on the ballot in November. It is the third proposition to go before voters in California that would mandate parental notification for teens who are seeking abortions. My belief and the belief of a number of other professional organizations is that this is a dangerous law. On the face of it, it sounds really reasonable. And I think that's why it's important for people to understand that if you have a good, loving, supportive family, the majority of teens involve their parents in their decisions about abortion. I've had a great deal of experience in dealing with teens and their parents. Physicians who deal with teens always encourage them to communicate with their parents. And depending on the situation, many and most of them do. Unfortunately, there are a number of situations that aren't ideal, where things are not as they should be. There's sometimes violence in the home. There have been situations uh, where teens have said to me, my older sister got pregnant at 15 and she was kicked out of the house. And that would be a significant repercussion for a teen. So that might be a teen who would choose not to tell her parents. Many teens um, say in surveys and polls and in research, and will say to me that if confidential care weren't available, they might not seek care for their health needs. And it really is true um, that teens value confidential health care. So most teenagers, when they find out that they are pregnant, um, their initial reaction is, oh my gosh, don't tell my parents. And so that's almost always sort of their knee-jerk reaction. Um, clinicians and physicians who take care of teenagers don't accept that at face value. We help the teen explore what that would mean to tell their parent. Can you tell me how you might think about telling your parent? Tell me how you think she would react. You think she might be angry? She might well be angry initially. How would you deal with that? 
Um, what do you think she would say? How would she act? I know it would be hard, but let's see if we can think a little bit more about how that might actually happen. Sometimes the mom is waiting in the waiting area, and I might say, you know, if it would make it easier for you, you and I can together tell your mother about the unintended pregnancy and then help you to explore what your options are um, to whether you would choose to continue that pregnancy and give birth, whether you would choose to continue the pregnancy and place a baby for adoption or whether you would choose to have an abortion. So you need to think about those options. Those are the options um, once you're pregnant. And can I help you to talk to your mom? So that's how the majority of conversations go, Uh, but not always. Sometimes I hear the statement from the teen, my older sister was kicked out of the house, and uh, um, so I know that's what would happen to me, and that, that is a chilling prospect to the teen. Sometimes teens have their own reasons that they feel they can't tell a parent. Even when they can't tell a parent, many other teens will tell another adult. It might not be one of the relatives that's specified in Prop 4. It might be a neighbor. It might be a clergy person. It might be some other trusted adult. It might be mom's best friend. It might be somebody else that would be supporting them. So studies show, again, that the majority of teens tell a parent, even of those who don't, they tell a trusted adult. The states that have required either notification or parental permission for abortions um, have, for the most part, provisions for judicial bypass, and that provision um, would be a part of the law in California. The problem is that teens don't understand what these laws really say, and they get really confused. So I think Prop 4, uh, if it were to be passed in California, um, would certainly have an impact on my care with adolescents. I would um, need to say to them that the law mandates parental notification, um, and then there are steps that I would need to take. Um, One of the difficulties of parental notification laws uh, that have been enacted in other states, and I experienced this in Ohio, is that, again, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know exactly what the law says. So it's confusing to me. Even I, who do this regularly, can be a little confused about exactly what are my requirements. How do I report it? Who do I need to notify? Um, What forms do I need to fill out. And just that aspect of I'm not sure what I need to do is a little bit chilling to some physicians. And so in Ohio, there were physicians who really didn't provide care to adolescents because it was too complicated to do. The idea that they might have to do this notification was complicated. And so it further limits adolescents' access to care and makes it harder for them to find a physician who really uh, has an understanding of what the law is. So first let's do um, a round-robin check-in. If you or anyone you know has ever had an abortion... Yeah, I do know somebody. I do know somebody that got an abortion. I don't know anyone. I do know someone. It turns out six out of the ten girls in Sapphire had friends who had abortions. She was, like, kind of young when she got pregnant, and um, she decided to have an abortion just because they were so young, and basically they were not ready, and if their parents knew they would practically be out the house, you know. And then I think they went to, like, a teen clinic, and then they got the abortion done privately. We think Prop 4 isn't about abortion. It's about taking away support from young women to be healthy and make informed decisions on their own. But not everyone agrees. My name is Dolores Meehan. I live in San Francisco, where I've lived my whole life. And I work in the private sector, but I also volunteer as a spokesperson for the Proposition 4 campaign. So both Friends of Sarah and the Yes on Proposition 4 campaign are working together. Friends of Sarah is the name of the campaign prior to it being given a legislative number by the Secretary of State. 
So the whole point of, of using Sarah as a symbol of parental notification is that one thing we know about teenagers is that there's usually a lack of consistency. That's generally why you get pregnant in the first place, because you forget to take your birth control pills. <laughs> and so something like taking antibiotics consistently after having a surgical abortion, which is a matter of course, as a matter of treatment that you would give because the risk of infection is so high that it's standard to give antibiotics. Sarah was, very tragically, a 15-year-old girl in Texas who died from the complications of a pregnancy. She had a torn cervix, and she was obviously a minor, an unemancipated minor. At 15 years old, she went and she had a surgical abortion. She had a torn cervix that wasn't treated, and because nobody knew that she had undergone this procedure, she died. If your daughter's taking antibiotics, you should know as a mom. I want to know my daughter's taking antibiotics. I want to make sure she finishes the course of them, that if she is having any complications, I can take her to the doctor. Sarah's Law, uh, parental notification and abortion decisions is a common sense measure. There's parents that don't treat their children well, and we all grieve that, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice or whatever. We all agree that this is a a bad situation. But the uh, overwhelming majority of parents do care about their children and want to be involved in decisions such as a surgical procedure. I would say the most compelling reason to vote Sarah's law into our Constitution in the state of California is to protect our young girls against sexual predators. Increasingly, the sex trade, it's really been growing exponentially. Uh, Certainly in San Francisco now where pornography films are being made, where there's a ballot measure to legalize prostitution, which actually would extend down to the age of 14, you have young girls more and more, the opportunities for their exploitation is growing and is actually is being realized there. This is, in fact, what's happening. Proposition 4 is important because it puts the welfare of young women, of minor girls, back in the periphery of their parents. For teens who are being sexually exploited, it provides them protection, and it exposes their exploitation, and the right people get prosecuted. I think the importance also of Proposition 4 is that parents mostly care about what's going on with their kids. The idea that parents shouldn't be involved in this serious decision is um, an insult to to parents. This is an insult to the citizens of California. So why, when a young girl is undergoing a surgical procedure that's very invasive, why shouldn't you know so that you can care for her? And whether you're in favor of abortion or you're against abortion, it's irrelevant. When your daughter is pregnant and you think, if you think that she should have an abortion, you're going to want to take her to your doctor. You don't want her going off to some clinic with who knows who. Although we say safe and legal in California, uh, it's legal. It's not necessarily safe. This is an unregulated industry. A barbershop has more health code regulations than abortion facilities. And so parents want to be involved in that decision. It's one that resonates with people who are both pro-life and who identify themselves as pro-choice. The residents of California should vote for Proposition 4 because it's a common-sense law. Minors aren't able to get tattoos, ear piercing, have an aspirin from a school nurse without actual parental consent, let alone notification. So this is a common sense that when a young girl is going to have a surgical procedure that's invasive, such as a surgical abortion, her parents should be at least notified so that they can care for her in the event of any complications. Secondly, Sarah's Law makes sense for California as a border state, as a port state. We're inundated by sex trafficking and all sorts of things. The opportunity for our young girls to be sexually exploited is massive. And a law that requires young girls, their parents to be notified in the event of a sexual predator bringing them to an abortion clinic for a secret abortion benefits everybody. You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. If you'd like more information or for CD copies of this program, please call 800-529-5736. You can also download programs 
or get our podcast at radioproject.org. James, due process legal hotline may help you. Hi, my name is May. Mm-hmm. And I just found out I'm pregnant. Huh? And okay. I don't want to tell my parents. Okay. Uh, let me ask you there are states that have passed parental involvement laws. And, uh, Texas is one of them. How old are you? 16. Okay. And when's your 17th birthday? In April. Okay. And how far along are you in the pregnancy? I just found out a week ago, so I'm not too sure. I haven't gone to the doctor or anything. Okay. Have you taken a home pregnancy test? Yes. Okay. And what do you want to do about this pregnancy? I would like to get an abortion. Okay. And who else have you spoken to about the pregnancy? No one. All right. Well, let me explain a little bit about what you're looking for. It's called a judicial bypass. Mm-hmm. And it's set up so that if a minor cannot... Get I'm Rita Lucido, and I'm an, a, an attorney practicing law in Harris County, Texas. I'm a founding member of Jane's Due Process. What you heard was a staged call. But those are the exact type of questions that are asked of teens calling the Jane's Due Process hotline. We started Jane's Due Process in the year 2000 to shepherd pregnant teenagers through the judicial bypass process that was part of the Texas Parental Notification Act. The Texas Parental Notification Act was passed in 1999 by our legislature, and it required parents to be involved and notified before their teenager could terminate a pregnancy. Jane's Due Process is a statewide Texas nonprofit corporation. The basic mission is to shepherd teenagers through the judicial bypass process, through the process that allows them to bypass the requirement that they get consent from a parent before terminating a pregnancy. Our law set up a judicial process where suit can be filed and a pregnant teenager can go to a judge and present their case as to why they can't obtain parental consent or should not and if the judge finds they meet the requirements of the law can bypass the parental involvement requirement and allow them to consent on their own and go forward and terminate their pregnancy. Jane's due process was set up to shepherd these girls through this process. As you can imagine, if you're 16 or 17 and pregnant, you're not only scared, you may not have ever gone downtown where the courthouses are in the community where you live, or you may be afraid to go into the courthouse because you have a relative that works there if you are uh, in a small community. It was quickly apparent that a girl could not get through this process without some some help. The, the girls who come uh, through the, the, the Jane's Due Process system are all varieties of girls. They are about 25 to 30 percent, I'd say, actually don't even have a parent in their lives. Their parents might be incarcerated or one parent is dead and they've never met another parent. They often live with an aunt or a, gra- or a grandma or a cousin. Some girls' parents live in Mexico and they were sent to the United States to live with a relative or they were born here and their parents went back to Mexico and they were left with a relative. Those girls don't have a parent in their lives from whom they can obtain consent. The remaining girls are across the board. Most of them I know are 16 or 17. It's rare that we get a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old. I have represented girls who are so poor they are generally even on the streets or they're pillar to post they don't know where they're going to lay their head the next night as well as represented girls from private schools and the most wealthy neighborhoods in Houston it's all kinds of girls but the the common denominator is that they're girls who can't go to a parent because the girls who can the girls who have a relationship with their mom or with their dad or with a a parent who they feel comfortable about, they go to those parents and they tell them, hey, I'm pregnant. I need your help. Uh, that was a clip from um, National Radio Project, and you can hear the rest of the show at radioproject.org. Uh, it's the show 
uh, on parental notification protecting our youth. And earlier we talked to Simon, talked with Simon Chung from Hong Kong uh, about the film festival fiasco uh, <laughs> or controversy that's happening over there. This is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI.